This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Thursday. Daphna, holding strong. It's only Thursday. <laughs> it's only Thursday. Two more days to go. All right. Well, let's let's get into it then. A question 27, genetics and dermatology. You are asked to examine a newborn who has a sibling with fragile X syndrome. Which of the following is false? An affected female with 50 to 200 trinucleotide repeats is at risk for premature ovarian insufficiency and neurocognitive deficits. B. Children with Fragile X Syndrome often have microcephaly. C. Fragile X Syndrome is an X-linked dominant disorder. D. Fragile X Syndrome is most commonly the result of a loss of function mutation caused by an unstable expansion of CGG repeats. E. The greater the number of methylated CGG repeats corresponds with a more severe phenotype. Okay, so choice C, D, and E I knew to be correct. It's X-link dominant. Uh, It has to do with CGG repeat. The more of them you have, the worse the phenotype. Choice A and B gave me a lot of trouble. Um, An affected female with 50 to 200 trinucleotide repeats is at risk for premature ovarian failure or insufficiency and neurocognitive deficit. I thought the symptoms start after 200, and I was worried that 50 to 200... I was, I remembered they should be fine. So I was hesitating. And then choice B was children with fragile X syndrome often have microcephaly. And that was confusing because I know they have the prominent forehead. They have the long mm-hmm. face. And I'm like, I don't think they have microcephaly. So I picked microcephaly as a choice. Okay. So B is the right answer because it is false. So the correct statement is that children with fragile X syndrome have macrocephaly, and they have macrocephaly as a result of underlying structural anomalies, including increased total brain volume, relatively increased caudate nucleus volume, decreased cerebellar vermis, increased fourth ventricular volume, and increased hippocampal volume. So you're right. They do not have microcephaly. Um, And then fragile X is an X-linked dominant disorder. So grateful that fragile X is X-linked dominant. I can remember that. And it's the most common inherited cause of developmental delay and intellectual disability. The prevalence of fragile X syndrome is between 1 in 1,250 to 4,000 in males and 1 in 2,000 to 8,000 in females. It is the result of a loss of function mutation caused by an unstable expansion of CGG trinucleotide repeats. And what happens is there's decreased or absent levels of um, the fragile X protein, FMRP, that results from this loss of function mutation um, in the gene located at XQ27.2. Remember that, people. Point two, you said, right? (laughs) That's right. And then you were right. So um, CGG expansions between 50 to 55 and 200 repeats are known as premutations, but not the full um, 
complete mutation. So you would need more than 200 CGG expansions for the complete mutation. But with a pre-mutation, so somewhere between 50 and 200, the classic fragile X phenotype does not occur since the FMR1 gene still is active and enough of the FMRP protein is produced. However, females with this pre-mutation between 50 to 200 repeats are at increased risk of premature ovarian insufficiency and neurocognitive deficits. So they don't manifest the full um, phenotype, but they are at risk for the premature ovarian insufficiency and neurocognitive um, deficits. The other facial characteristics um, are long, narrow face, like you said, with prominent forehead, large ears, a wide nasal bridge, and epicanthal folds. Um, they can all also have hyperextensible joints, um, large, uh, larger testes than expected post-puberty, um, and like we said, the one of the hallmarks is macrocephaly, not microcephaly. Okay. Okay. Question 28. Daphna, an infant born at 24 weeks gestation after unstoppable preterm labor. A medical student rotating through the NICU comments on the appearance of the premature infant's skin. Which of the following statement is false? Okay. Choice A. Oh, you didn't give Sorry. me the, I think <laughs> you you give the choice. Choice A. Uh, compared to full-term infants, the skin of premature infant is significantly more permeable and prone to increased water loss. Choice B. Premature infants have significantly greater surface area to volume ratio compared to term infants. Choice C, preterm and term infants have similar number of melanosomes at birth. Choice D, the epidermis of of premature infants born less than 30 weeks gestation is approximately half the thickness of the epidermis of a full-term infant. The function, choice E, the function of sweat glands is decreased at birth in both premature and term infants. We're looking for the statement that is false. Okay. Um, significantly more permeable and prone to water loss, the preterm infant. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's one of the major reasons for, you know, increased uh, total fluid volumes. And when we talk about delivery room management, we'll get into that. Premature infants have a significantly greater surface area to volume ratio compared to term infants. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Preterm and term infants have a similar number of of melanosomes at birth. Um, That's not true. Um, The preterm infants do have less melanosomes. So I I know that that's false. The epidermis of preterm infants uh, less than 30 weeks is half the thickness of full-term infants. I don't know if it's half, but I'm sure it's smaller. And then the function of sweat glands is decreased at birth in both premature and term infants. And, and that's true. In general, they, they rarely sweat. So, so, so C is false. That is correct. So C, the fact that preterm um, and term infants have a similar number of melanosomes at birth is not the correct statement. The epidermis of premature infants born less than 30 weeks gestation is approximately 27 micrometers in thickness compared to 50 micrometer in thickness of the epidermis for full-term infants. So they are about half. Um, and so that was choice. Um, that was choice D. Mm-hmm. The cause of the, the, this causes the skin of the premature infant to be significantly more permeable, prone to water loss compared to term infants. The dermis of premature infants have 
fewer collagen fibers compared to term infants, making the skin less elastic and increasing the risk of blistering. The sweat glands of infants less than 30 weeks gestation are non-functional, resulting in complete anhydrosis. That sort of makes sense. I mean, if you've mm-hmm. not seen like a, <laughs> a preemie sweat. Even when uh, they get hot, hot, right? They don't sweat. <laughs> that's right. The sweat glands of term infants also have decreased activity for the first week of life and uh, decreased neurologic control for up to three years. Premature infants have significantly increased surface area to volume ratio compared to term infants and adults. Now, when it comes to these melanosomes, which are basically the organelles that produce and store melanin, um, there are one-third the number of melanosomes in the skin of premature infants compared to term infants, resulting in increased photosensitivity. And that kind of makes mm-hmm. sense, right? I mean, they're so translucent. Some of these little exactly babies, right. yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, question thirty: A neonate is diagnosed uh, with supravalvular subaortic stenosis. That's a buzzword for you. Upon examination, you note hypoplastic nails, prominent lips, and a stellate iris pattern. Which of the following microdeletions is responsible for this neonate's likely syndrome? Is it A, a 7Q11.23? Is it B, 11P13? C, 15Q11-13? D, 16P13.3? Or E, 22Q11.2? Hmm. I love it when there are some that you just you just know, right? <laughs> I had a mnemonic for micro deletions, but I I saved it for the end, and I'm not sure um, if I should uh, if I should say it now. Well, now's the time. No, it's not the time. Okay, Daphna. So let me answer this question. So when we're looking at hypoplastic nail, prominent lips, and stellate iris pattern, that makes you think of Williams syndrome, right? And Williams syndrome is part of uh, the micro deletion. Uh, syndromes. And if you, um, in, and then I'm, I don't have a good mnemonic for how to remember that Williams syndrome is 7Q11. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's choice A. And I do have a mnemonic to remember all the different syndromes with microdeletions, but uh, I was saving it for a later question this week. So I don't know. You tell us the answer and maybe we'll, we'll disclose it to the audience. <laughs> but you don't want to share it? Okay, fine. Um, so you're right. So this um, this infant has Williams syndrome, and I actually thought the most uh, the most buzzworthy feature is that supravalvular subaortic stenosis. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, to me, it's the prominent lips. No. <laughs> All right. Well, now people remember prominent lips, so supravalvular subaortic stenosis, hypoplastic nails, and this stellate iris pattern. So if you look at it, the, the iris pigmentation is kind of lacy or um, resembling the spokes of a bicycle wheel. Some of the other findings are um, a kind of hoarseness to the voice, uh, mental deficiencies, renal anomalies, and transient hypercalcemia. And it is caused by a 7Q11.23 deletion in the elastin gene. I didn't know 11P13, but it is one of the commonly tested uh, microdeletions. It's responsible for the Wager syndrome, W-A-G-R, characterized by Wilms tumor, aniridia, 
GU abnormalities, and moderate to severe mental deficiency. 15Q11-13 deletion, again, uh, very commonly tested, is for Angelman or Prader-Willi, depending on the origin of the deleted piece. Um, And we reviewed that on Monday, actually. If the deletion is of maternal origin, um, it leads to Angelman syndrome and is characterized by widely spaced teeth, protruding tongue, severe mental deficiency, um, ataxia with jerky movements similar uh, to a puppet, and seizures. If the deletion is of paternal origin, it leads to Prater-Willi syndrome, um, characterized by small hands and feet, undescended testes, hypotonia, mild to severe mental deficiency, and failure to thrive in infancy, followed by obesity in later syndrome, uh, later childhood, sorry. Um, So these babies um, also have hypotonia. I was not familiar with 16P13.3, but that is... (laughs) Rubenstein Taby. So Rubenstein Taby, 16 P13. Clinical features include cardiac anomalies, um, specifically the PDA, VSDs, and ASDs, broad thumbs and toes, downward slanting of palpebral fissures, hypoplastic maxilla, hypotonia, and developmental delay. And then 22Q11.2 microdeletions, those are the the catch um, syndromes and DeGeorge syndrome, um, also known as velocardiofacial syndrome. And it has cardiac anomalies, thymic aplasia, and um, hypocalcemia. Okay. Okay. So my mnemonic, I'm going to give you the mnemonic. Fine. Fine. Um, So it's very difficult to remember all these microdeletions, right? Yeah. And- I'm thinking that there's this doctor that had this very this very cool name that never got twisted. And his name was William D. Warp. And okay. he was a physician. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you remember that, that's it. You remember all the microdeletions. William wow. D. Warp. MD stands for microdeletions. Okay. Mm-hmm. William, William mm-hmm. syndrome. D, DeGeorge. Mm. W, Wager. A, Angelman. R, Rubinstein Taibbi. P, pray to Willie. Huh, that's all of them. That's all of them. I mean, uh, listen, people. I know we're going to get a text that there's like this fancy micro deletion. That, those are the ones that they that I've learned for the test. William okay. D. Warp, MD. And he okay. never got his mind warped with micro deletions. All right. We'll give it a go. Well, we have a question coming up soon, so. <laughs> all right. Um, Your turn. Okay, uh, my turn. That's true. That is true. Um, question um, 35? 32. You see, I skipped a question. God damn it. <laughs> All right, question 32. We'll do question 32. Daphna, <clears throat> you are preparing for a NICU admission of an infant prenatally diagnosed with chromosome 22Q11.2 deletion. Antenatal history is otherwise unremarkable. Fetal echocardiography did not identify any anomalies, but it did note that the aorta was poorly visualized. After the infant is brought to the NICU, you perform a thorough physical examination. Of the following, the most important diagnostic test to obtain during the infant's initial evaluation are Choice A, CBC with flow cytometry, echocardiography, and brain MRI. Choice B, CBC with flow cytometry, electrolytes, and brain MRI. Choice C, CBC with flow cytometry, electrolytes, and echo. 
Choice D, electrolytes, spinal radiograph, and brain magnetic resonance imaging. Choice E, electrolytes, spinal radiograph, and echocardiography. Okay, so 22Q11.2, it's to George. Um, so I would want, let me just think of what I would want. I would want a, a complete blood cell count with flow cytometry. I would want echocardiography. I would want the electrolytes, and they gave us a hint here, including calcium, because I would expect hypocalcemia. I don't need any brain imaging, and um, really, we rarely need a spinal radiograph, maybe to look for allergial syndrome. So I guess that's C, uh, CBC, flow cytometry, electrolytes, including calcium, and echocardiography. Yeah, that's correct. A Daphne masterclass, you see, like you just powered through so good. <laughs> Uh, uh, chromosome 22Q11 obviously is um, the George. It typically results from a three megabase deletion on, deletion on chromosome 22 and involving as many as 35 genes. Um, the other names for the George are velocardiofacial syndrome, and uh, it's usually remembered as the catch 22, um, which includes C for cardiac disease, A for abnormal facies, T for thymic hypoplasia, C for cleft palate, H for hypocalcemia, and 22 because it involves chromosome 22. Uh, the, ma the management of uh, DeJord is usually involving a multidisciplinary approach, and in the immediate neonatal period, it should be really uh, focused towards rolling out life-threatening anomalies uh, that could be present as early in life. Uh, because more than 70% of Babies with DeGeorge will have a cardiac anomaly, most commonly conotruncal anomalies that include interrupted aortic arch, truncus arteriosus, and tetralogy of flow. A postnatal echo is critical uh, for confirmation and immediate management. Um, the deletion in 22Q11 results in third and fourth pharyngeal pouch maldevelopment and is often associated with hypoplastic thymus and parathyroid glands. So thymic hypoplasia commonly results in moderate T-cell dysfunction without severely immunocompromised state in the newborn period. However, there's an extreme form called total thymic aplasia that can occur, and this variant requires uh, immediate intervention and uh, prophylactic measures such as like PCP prophylaxis and so on. Uh, hmm. Flow cytometry is helpful to identify these uh, T-cells anomalies. Hypocalcemia, you mentioned, secondary to hypoparathyroidism, usually presents in the neonatal period, specifically around stress, such as cardiac surgery. And we know how touchy our cardiothoracic team is about the calcium levels. Mm -hmm. Was it like that in your fellowship program? Oh, Lord, if we kept... You know, it wasn't. People say that, but it wasn't one of a, you know, their if major you, if, stressors. If, if a calcium level was barely below the normal range, you better catch it before the cardiothoracic <laughs> team because you were going to get a phone call about like, give this kid some calcium. Um, well, the heart, the heart requires calcium. Yeah, you, you, you don't say. <laughs> Hypocalcemia is commonly uh, correctable with oral supplements and resolves over the first year of life, although some cases uh, require prolonged or recurrent supplementation. Um, the whole idea of brain MRI, uh, structural brain anomalies mm -hmm. are usually infrequent and um, they can have some behavioral issues, but it usually doesn't require brain MRI. Butterfly vertebrae can be found in patients with this disorder and can be diagnosed with a spinal radiograph, but this is not really something that's critical in the initial evaluation. I did not know that. Well, there you go. Um, 
another clinical important factor is, is feeding difficulties. So um, 42% of infants with Dejour syndromes are diagnosed with velopharyngeal dysfunction requiring ENT and gastroenterology spe specialty intervention. Later in childhood, affected patients are at an increased at, a, at an increased risk of autoimmunity. So yeah, that was question 32. Do we have time for more? Nope. All right, Daphna, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> All right, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.